My name is Irene. I teach the weekly yoga classes here, facilitate the monthly labyrinth walks, and I am the squirrel herder-in-chief for the Frederick Chapter of the Covenant of Unitarian Universalist Pagans. In April of 1986, the number four reactor at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant near Pripyat in the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic melted down. An uncontrolled nuclear chain reaction took place. The reactor core ruptured and then caught fire, releasing radioactive contamination into the atmosphere for nine days. The radiation levels released into the surrounding earth, air, and water were 400 times that of the Hiroshima nuclear bomb. The initial explosion attempts to contain the radiation and exposure on the part of the people who once lived or worked or tried to help mean that the death toll is estimated upwards of 4,000 people when you look at short- and long-term radiation-related deaths. And that's just the human lives. This horrifying combination of power and destruction is one of only two nuclear energy disasters rated at seven, the maximum severity on the international nuclear event scale. Now here's where the story gets a little weird. It's been a little over 30 years since the disaster. The area immediately surrounding the nuclear power plant was largely abandoned due to radiation. The exclusion zone runs 19 miles in all directions from the power plant. Photos of that land show a post-apocalyptic aesthetic, but only of the human structures. What no one expected was the reclaiming of that land by other species. The exclusion zone is now one of the most biologically diverse locations in the former Soviet Union. There are more species present now than before the disaster. Among the elk, deer, foxes, boar, bear, and wolves, rare and endangered species like the Prowalski's horse and European lynx have been sighted. This, of course, has translated to a new industry of ecotourism of the exclusion zone. Participants are led through the Pelieski State Radioecological Reserve, which is the name for the Belarus side of the exclusion zone, to experience the Accidental Wildlife Sanctuary. The reserve claims it is now home to 70% of the country's bird species. Disasters take many forms, of course. The Chernobyl disaster was unarguably a human-generated crisis. But nature has her own catastrophes. In this time of climate change, we're seeing a huge rise in forest fires, and those are not always directly caused by humans. A lightning strike in exactly the wrong place can trigger a conflagration that spreads for miles. Fires destroy everything in their paths, an ecosystem literally going up in smoke. But after a fire something new occurs, growth. The ashes return nutrients to the earth. Underbrush is consumed, and sunlight can once again reach the forest floor. Insects that preyed on the old-growth forest are wiped out, 
Most of the young, healthy trees survive and go through a growth spurt courtesy of all that extra sunlight. Biodiversity increases. The remains of burned trees offer tempting habitats to birds and mammals. The new, lush shrubs and grasses created by all that nutrient-rich soil attract grazing mammals, like deer. Those animals attract predators, coyote, wolves, bears. If enough time passes, the forest returns stronger and more diverse than it was before the fire. Volcanic eruptions destroy everything in their path and create new land. Floods wipe out entire communities and enrich the soil. Earthquakes shape the continent. As a member of the Earth-centered spirituality community, my greatest teacher is nature. I look for patterns in the world around us to follow in my own life. What is true on the macrocosm can be true on the microcosm. When we experience a disaster in our lives, we use the exact same language that we use to describe a natural disaster. We can hear it in the metaphors. Our lives explode, burn, collapse, or are struck by lightning. That which has been can never come again after disaster strikes. We have not yet figured out how to turn back the clock and unmake a tragedy. But the pattern in front of us, playing out on this beautiful planet we all share, shows the path forward. There is an unfortunate tendency in our culture to meet a crisis in someone else's life with positive thinking platitudes. In our discomfort, in the face of distress, too often we find ourselves repeating the things that we were told. Everything happens for a reason. When God closes a door, she opens a window. You just have to find the silver lining. I don't think any of those are true. Just as a nuclear disaster is a horrifying accident, tragedies in our lives are not the machinations of some higher power trying to teach us a lesson. Terrible things happen. They happen to kind people as well as cruel. They happen to people with resources as well as those with no safety net at all. We all suffer terrible blows as part of our journey on this human path. We lose people. We find ourselves in abusive situations. We get struck by calamities that occur out of the blue, a bolt of lightning on a summer day, a forest fire in a quiet glade. It is our response to finding ourselves in a place of darkness that influences what comes after. I do not believe in disasters as lessons. I do believe that we can choose to create meaning when terrible things happen. We can choose to focus on the new growth, or we can choose to focus on the decaying structures of life before calamity. A few months ago, I was in a heathen ceremony here at the UCF. It was early spring, and many of us were talking about what we hoped for this year to be. We were referencing how hard and painful last year was for so many of us. When it came time for my friend Jack to speak, 
He said, let the darkness be soil. I have turned those words over and over since that moment. Jack is absolutely right. In that space between the lightning strike and the new growth, we have the power to transform ourselves. When a seed begins to grow, the first thing it does is send out roots. It figures out where it is. One of my very dear friends is a living miracle. A few years ago, a terrible accident resulted in her being burned so badly that it was anyone's guess as to whether she would survive. Whether she would keep her legs, much less walk on them, was unknown. Her life, as she had known it, was over. Her response to that passage through fire and destruction never ceases to inspire me. One of the things that she has said to me and to others is, the only way out is through. When we force positivity, when we try to gloss over pain or avoid it by immediately trying to go back to normal, we do not give ourselves a chance to grow roots. You can force a seed to open above the ground, but the plant that results is weak. Our darkness is our soil. Before we ever send a green leaf up above the surface, we must first root deeply into the darkness. We must open to the experience contained in the soil around us. It's how we find the fuel for growth. Letting the darkness be soil means feeling our emotions. It means sitting with discomfort. It means touching the broken places and leaning into pain. I love Reverend Carl's saying about how a heart can break, that it can shatter or that it can break open to ultimately hold more love. And interestingly, we're beginning to see psychology make a turn from forced positivity to authentic emotional expression. A study recently published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology demonstrated that when people expressed the emotions they felt, regardless of whether the emotions were pleasant or unpleasant, they reported greater life satisfaction and fewer depressive symptoms. They were ultimately happier. A little over six months ago, I lost a very close friend to brain cancer. During the end of her life and the earlier part of my grieving, I created a grief altar. Grief altars can be very simple. Mine was a photo of her, a couple candles, and a black scarf. In the beginning, I would just sit there and cry. I would light the candle and weep and maybe talk to her a little bit. I would lean in and allow the tsunami building in my heart to hit and crash. And that uncontrollable wave of grief sometimes felt like I might drown. But here's the thing. Our emotions are part of fluctuating patterns. After a huge wave passed, I would feel more peaceful, more quiet. This is the power of rooting into the darkness, of leaning in. It doesn't make our feelings go away, but it gives us space to breathe. And when we allow the emotions space... Sometimes they allow us space as well. 
Emotions won't be pushed aside. They won't be buried or silenced. All you do when you suppress them is extend your suffering. The only way out is through. The only way to learn again how to breathe, how to be, how to grow in the places that were destroyed is to support your process. Now, shadows take many forms. Grief is an easy example because it's really hard to suppress. However, adults in our culture are masters at suppression. Some of us are so disconnected from our deeper emotions that we don't even know what to use to label a feeling when we have one. We just shove that bad boy into the psychological closet and hope it doesn't break the lock on the door. Within the world of earth-centered spirituality is an area of focus we call shadow work. Shadow work involves addressing the hidden, repressed, or destructive parts of our psychology and working to heal and integrate those places. And I'm going to emphasize the word integrate here. Our culture includes a good deal of forced positivity. The ultimate impact of avoiding unpleasant emotions like grief, anger, and frustration, and pain is to cut people off from themselves. We gaslight trauma survivors, and we compare tragedies like there's some sort of a contest to see who can ignore the most misery. If we can prove that we are making it, at least on the surface, despite of like, terrible anguish, then somehow we win? I feel a little bit like Dr. Seuss's Lorax anymore. Throughout the story of the Lorax, the character says, I am the Lorax, and I speak for the trees. More and more frequently, I feel like I should be saying, I am the witch and I speak for the shadow. Becoming whole through integration rather than suppressing our shadows offers us incredible strength, wisdom, and power. Righteous rage in the face of injustice is a powerful weapon. Grief is the proof of love. Assertiveness sets and maintains boundaries. Pride protects us from abuse. Imagine if we had access to all the information and energy contained in our shadows. If we were able to safely feel and express our authentic emotions, the world would be a different place. Positive thinking and focusing on only good things is limiting. Becoming whole is more important than becoming light. For many of us, shadow work includes getting professional help. We approach our shadows on multiple fronts, and the ability to fuse science and spirituality is one of the things I value most about my spiritual path. However, the first step to doing shadow work is quite simple. It involves observation. When we discover an emotional reaction that is out of proportion to a situation or a stimulus, we take a closer look. If breaking a dish makes you rage or cry or go into a stress spiral, it's time to get out the mirror and take a closer look. The emotional wave that rises in response to a minor trigger is a clue that something in your shadow needs to be heard, needs to be resolved. When we refuse to look at our own shadows, behaviors, feelings, we can cause immense harm to ourselves and others. We blame others for situations we have created. 
we lash out at the people who love us. We repeat the same unhealthy patterns over and over and over again and don't understand why we can't get it right. We wrestle with internal demons that don't actually want to fight us. They just want to be heard. One of my favorite quotes is, you can get bitter or you can get better. Your choice. Despite all the signaling, we are still responsible for ourselves. We are not to blame for our grief and trauma, but we are responsible for what happens next. When trauma occurs, we need to remember that we are seeds in the darkness. We need to send out our roots into the grief or pain or frustration We must allow ourselves to feel. When we discover something locked deep in our psychological closet, it's our responsibility to draw that shadow out. By working with and integrating our shadows, we are able to grow stronger and more stable. We become the forest after the fire more lush and diverse than ever before. We become the wildlife preserve after the disaster, a miracle of growth, unlooked for, unexpected, and impossible to imagine before calamity descended. Carl Jung said, people will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own souls. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. May we all become better listeners to our darkness, and may the consciousness there be the fertile soil that heralds new growth.